Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. We're going to start with, I think, probably an all-time favorite hymn, Crown Hymn, with many crowns, but uh, it was also written with, um, newly written with Christmas words. Um, so let's stand and sing this together. Source of heaven's hope on earth. 
singing. Some people think anything having to do with God is very serious and could never be actually happy the Assume that does doing things for God, studying about God, going to church and worshiping God, or if even just thinking about God will be really boring and no fun. But Jesus is not a bore or a burden. He's not a drag or a drudgery. Jesus is the greatest joy in the universe. He's the best news anyone has ever heard. In fact, nothing in all the world can give people as much joy as Jesus can. That's what the angels told the shepherds who were taking care of their sheep on that dark night. Outside Bethlehem, Luke recorded the angels singing. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. We're going to start with, I think, probably an all-time favorite hymn, Crown Hymn, with many crowns, but uh, it was also written with, um, newly written with Christmas words. Um, so let's stand and sing this together.
Some people think anything having to do with God is very serious and could never be actually happy the Assume that does doing things for God, studying about God, going to church and worshiping God, or if even just thinking about God will be really boring and no fun. But Jesus is not a bore or a burden. He's not a drag or a drudgery. Jesus is the greatest joy in the universe. He's the best news anyone has ever heard. In fact, nothing in all the world can give people as much joy as Jesus can. 
that's what the angels told the shepherds who were taking care of their sheep shepherds. on that dark night. Shepherd. Outside Bethlehem, Luke recorded. recorded the angels singing, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Luke 2, 10 to 11. Although intensely freight the good news of Jesus replaced the shepherds for fury with joy. What was this? God, good news, the Savior, yes, set the Messiah. I thought that one was mine, Keaton. Messiah, the Lord has been born today. The good news was that the Messiah, the Jesus, had been expecting for centuries was born the that very night. When the shepherds checked it out for themselves, they found that what the angel had told them was true. So they returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and happened and seen. They couldn't keep what they had seen to themselves. They told everyone what happened, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Luke 2 verse 18. That word wondered means that all the people who heard it, mar it marveled. They were blown away. The reason we celebrate Christmas is that we are still blown away by the incredible news that God became a baby on that night in Bethlehem. And when we grow in our understanding of what this means, we begin to experience experience the great joy the angels talked about.
Good morning to each and every one of you. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can be in your, your house and worship you and look towards the season that uh, people in our country sometimes don't really get the meaning of. And we just pray that uh, that message will go out this season. And as we go from here, we will spread that message to our friends and neighbors and people that may or may not know the real reason. So we just pray that you'll bless the service this morning and all that's done in it, the music, and help our hearts to be open and mindful of what you have to say to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. In your bulletins, read to the cult of worship. Um, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Let's read it together. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And if you read the back of the bulletin this morning, you will see uh, Pastor Glenn's emphasis on the Prince of Peace. Um, scripture reading at this time. reading this morning is from Matthew 11 verses 25 to 30 I will be reading from the NIV Matthew 11 25 to 30 the father revealed in the son at that time Jesus said I praise you father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. this morning and uh, let's just take the time to bow our hearts before God and, and just deliberately make that choice to open ourselves up to what he may have for us this morning so let's bow our heads Lord we come to the portion of our worship service where we're going to look into your word and we recognize that this is your word to us 
and that you put it in the Bible for a reason. And you want us to learn something from it. You want us want to say something to us from it. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help each of us to just open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to us this morning. To each one of us individually. Lord, I, I don't know where everybody is at in their own personal lives or in their hearts, but you do. And so, Lord, I, I really pray that you'll take, as only you can, all the events of the service and uh, use it to speak to us and encourage us, challenge us if needed, and uh, just feed us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A mother named Michelle Hardy uh, tells this story. She says, Advent was one week away, and so we thought we'd see what the children remembered from our family devotions the year before. So I asked, who can tell me what the four candles in the Advent wreath represent? And Luke, seven-year-old Luke, uh, jumped in with his seven-year-old wisdom and exuberance, and he said, well, there's love and joy and peace and, and, um, and, and then six-year-old Elise <laughs> jumped at the finish, I know, I know, peace and quiet. <laughs> and as much as we all love Christmas, I don't think that phrase, peace and quiet, <laughs> would ever be used by any of us to describe how we do Christmas. Because in actuality, it's quite the opposite for the vast majority of people. And on the one hand, I'm not sure that's necessarily wrong. <laughs> and yet on the other hand, maybe this six-year-old was onto something. The sermon this morning is going to be a bit unconventional as far as Christmas sermons are concerned. But it isn't altogether new. I did preach this sermon about seven or eight years ago, uh, but upon thinking and praying, I couldn't seem to get it out of my head. Not the sermon, per se, but, but the biblical truth that it's based on. And so I decided to kind of rework the sermon and preach it again this year. So for those of you who are a bit long in the tooth, <laughs> you might remember this, or some of the main points anyway. It has to do with doing our Christmas preparations and our Christmas celebrations with a different mindset. The scripture passage we're going to be looking at is the one, not one that we usually go to during the Christmas season. It's the last few verses of the passage that was read to us earlier. So Jeremy read from verse 25 to 30. We're just going to be looking at verse 28 to 30. Verses 28 to 30. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, this passage has nothing to do with the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. But there is a connection. Christmas. We are celebrating the coming of Jesus. God come as a human. Jesus says in these verses that he came to give us rest. 
So if we are celebrating the coming of Jesus, and if Jesus came to give us rest, then there is something that we should put together here. I'm not sure that rest is really something that is valued in our society. Uh, I think many people long for it. But the way we go about getting it is through lots of work. So we value long hours with the goal of getting ahead financially so we can enjoy the good life. We define the good life as having lots of recreational stuff, usually. RVs, cabins at the lake, boats, winter vacations to warm climates, so on and so forth. We, we think we value rest because we work long hours to be able to afford the stuff which we think will give us rest. But it doesn't. The more stuff we have, the more we have to take care of. <laughs> and the more we travel, the more time we spend working to afford it and prepare for it. And if we go someplace exotic, we have to take advantage of it by cramming all the activities we can into our time there to spend or to get the most out of our money and time that, that we're there. And the less rest we get. And in the big picture, this does not give us rest. It takes away from rest. You know, it's interesting. We have in the Bible a record of what happens when God sets up a society and a culture. That was what the Old Testament nation of Israel was. God's people that he brought together, brought out of Egypt to make a nation through which he could reveal himself to the world. He set it up. And the instructions that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai were more than just the moral law. It was the moral law, but it was more. It was instructions on how to set up their society when they get to the promised land. And God commanded that they rest. Regularly. It starts right with the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall work. And on the seventh you shall do no work. Your servants shouldn't work. Your animals shouldn't work. No one should work on that seventh day. The word Sabbath and the word rest. They both come from the same root word in the original Hebrew. And that word means to cease or desist. To cease or desist. Just stop. That's basically what the word means. Just stop. So a very literal translation of that fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments would be, remember the ceasing day, or the desisting day, or the resting day, to keep it holy. In other words, don't mess with that. That's the day where you just stop and rest. I've explained this before over the years. As you go on reading in the Old Testament law, you see feasts and festivals that they were commanded to keep and to observe. Some of them are quite lengthy, week long. And included in that week were one, sometimes two days of rest. Every seventh year, they were not to plant any crops. They were to let the land go follow 
for one year because the land needed a rest. That's what God said. So when you look at the whole society as God laid out for the nation Israel, regular rest periods were scheduled in to the society right from the start. <coughs> it was intended to be a society that had regular rest periods built into it. Now, we of course know from our many times going through the Old Testament in the past years, that the nation Israel wandered far away from the society God intended. But that's the way God set it up. And, and I'm not saying that this is how our society should be set up. I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches. But it's interesting that this is how God set up the nation of Israel. And interesting to note, when Jesus came, he tells us here in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, that he came to give us rest. So what does that mean? What does that all include? And when we know what it means, how does that affect how we celebrate Christmas. That's where we're going with this sermon this morning. What does this mean? How can we apply it in practical terms? So we need to grasp the concept of rest, the rest that Jesus came to give, and learn how to apply it to Christmas celebrations. And we can do that by studying the things that Jesus came to give us rest from. So there's two things I want to bring out here. What did Jesus... When he says he's going to give us rest, what's he giving us rest from? Two things. Number one, rest from trying to be good enough. Rest from trying to be good enough. To understand what Jesus was saying to the people here, we need to understand the background in which he said it. And the context in which he said it. And as you go back over the book of Matthew from the beginning till this point, you see Jesus teaching the people the truths about the kingdom of God. And you see Jesus healing people, you see him calming a storm just by speaking, you see him casting out evil spirits out of people, setting them free. And you also see some opposition starting to rise against Jesus from the Pharisees. What Jesus was teaching didn't line up with what the Pharisees were teaching. So they started opposing him. And they, and they tried to discredit him, saying that he used using the power of Satan to do the miracles that he did. No, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders in Israel at this time. They were the ones that taught people the word of God and what it meant. And explained how it applied to all areas of life. So just some background on the Pharisees. The Pharisees came into being during the 400 years or so, between the time the last book of the Old Testament was written, that book of Malachi, and the time that Jesus came. So that's about a 400 year period. And that's when the Pharisees rose up. There was a felt need to explain to the people that came back from the Babylonian captivity. <laughs> that was, you know, just before this 400 year thing. There was a felt need to explain to these people what the law of God was. They had been in Babylon for 70 years. There's a new generation that didn't really know much about the law of God. So there was a felt need to explain to the people who came back from the Babylonian exile what the law of God was, what it meant how it worked. And so the sect of the Pharisees grew out of that. And like many things, the intent was good. But in the passing of a few hundred years, it morphed into something that was not what God intended. You see, in their explanation of what God said in the Old Testament law, they started adding things to it to explain it. 
so that people would understand what this meant. So, in effect, they added to it. For example, one of the Old Testament laws was the one we just talked about. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So do no work on the Sabbath. That was one of the laws. So what does that mean? Well, so to explain what this means, the Pharisees started listing things that were considered work. That you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And to make sure the law was kept and not profane, that list kept getting longer. <laughs> to the point that at the time of Jesus, there were rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. You couldn't drag a chair across a dirt floor on the Sabbath because the chair legs would dig a furrow in the dirt floor and that was plowing, which was work. Couldn't do that. So that's just one example. Hundreds of things like this. For every law God gave, they had their list of things that it all included to the point where it just became ridiculous. And with that, there came the move to the belief that being accepted by God was contingent on obeying all these laws. Plus all the rules that explained these laws as set out by the Pharisees. It was all based on outward actions. There was no mention or consideration of a heart condition. It was all outward actions. So this was a huge burden on the people. Can you imagine trying to be a good and a godly person, trying to do what is right, and the only way to do it was to keep all these rules. Just in the normal everyday tasks of life, you ran the risk of breaking many of these rules without even realizing it. And you were condemned. You couldn't be accepted by God because you broke the rules. This teaching of the Pharisees literally drained the spiritual life out of the people. This law that they were trying to keep was a huge burden on their shoulders. Just flip back page or two in your Bibles to chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. Seeing the people, he felt, as Jesus, he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let's focus on the word verse 36. Distressed and dispirited, in my translation says. Like sheep without a shepherd. Trying to be good, trying to be godly, but in reality, they're far from God. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Send out the, the workers to the harvest. You see, the people were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. No wonder Jesus felt compassion on them. This is not at all what God had in mind when he gave them the law. But many rejected Jesus for whatever reason. And now back in Matthew 11, verse 20 to 24, Jesus warned that those who rejected him it will not go well for them at the judgment. So that's the background. That's the context of Jesus' words there in verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He came to give the people rest. The question is the rest from. and the, or what Rest from what? 
And the answer is rest from this burdensome law system that the Pharisees had laid on the shoulders of these people that was draining the spiritual life out of them. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus, who we know is God come in human form, is saying, this is not at all what I had in mind when I gave you the law. Come to me, I'll free you from that. I'll give you rest. Being, con being accepted by God is not contingent upon keeping a bunch of rules. And hopefully if you can keep most of them, you'll be good enough to be accepted. That's the burden these people were staggering under. Trying to be good enough to be accepted by God and constantly living in fear that they were going to fall short. What a horrible way to live. No wonder they were distressed and downcast. Jesus said, I'll give you rest from that. My acceptance of you is not based on you keeping a whack of rules. It isn't based on being good enough. Just forget about all those rules. Take a rest from that. Stop trying. Just come to me. And maybe there are some here that need to hear this. Jesus came to give us rest. Rest from trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. No, Jesus is standing with open arms saying, just come to me and I will give you rest from that. Come to me. I have done what needed to be done to make you right with God. I died for you in your place. I paid for your sins. They're paid for. I've done it. You don't have to pay for your own sins. You can't. I've done it for you. Just come to me. Believe in who I am. Admit you need me as a Savior. Accept me as your Savior. And I'll give you a rest from that whole thing of trying to be good enough. So there's some here who have never done that. I encourage you. <laughs> Make sure you do that. Come to me. I will give you rest. So how do we apply this now to Christmas and how we celebrate Christmas? If Jesus came to give us rest from trying to be good enough, it seems to me that our celebrations of Jesus' coming should be consistent with that. Our celebrations should have an element of rest to them. So it seems to me that if my attitude is that in order to be able to celebrate the incarnation and the birth of Christ, I have to do this and this and this and the other thing. It's on me. It's on my shoulders to make the celebration what it needs to be. If, if it's going to be good, it's on me to do a bunch of stuff in order to make it good. It seems to me that if my line of thinking is, you know, if I put up more lights on the house and on the trees then Christmas will be better. If I bake more, two more varieties of goodies, then Christmas will be better. If I take in a few more programs, or go to a few more parties, or then, then Christmas will be good. If that's my line of thinking, I'm in that trying to be good enough mode that Jesus came to give us a rest from. 
is all on me to make the celebration good and acceptable to all in my circle. If that's the case, if that's our mindset, then everything about Christmas celebrations becomes draining and you'll become distressed and downcast. <laughs> I think in a lot of ways it comes down to perspective. If on the other hand, my thinking is, I want to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I want to celebrate the coming of Jesus. That Jesus would come to this earth, God come in the flesh. That Jesus would come as a human is so awesome that he would do that for me so I could be saved from the penalty of my sin. That is so amazing. I just got to celebrate. Let's decorate. Let's do some special baking. Let's sing praises to God. Think about that night he was born. And in that spirit of celebration, you do what you do, just as an expression of your celebration. That's totally different. Then you'll actually find those things energizing, which is the opposite of being draped. Notice in verse 29 that Jesus says he came to give us rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. So if you, as an expression of the celebration in your heart, do all kinds of decorating and baking and giving gifts and all that, yeah, you may be busy. You may not be getting physical rest, but this will be something energizing for you. Your souls will be rested. And that's also necessary. So there's a bit of a fine line here. The point is, Jesus came to give us rest. Our celebrations should have an element of rest to them. So, this will obviously apply to each person individually. It'll apply differently. But do some soul searching. Why do you do what you do at Christmas? To try to make Christmas good for those around you because it's on your shoulders to do that? Or as an expression of the celebration in your heart because Christmas is good? Does it promote rest for you? Rest for your souls? You need to answer that question in your own heart. But anyway, secondly, second thing, and lastly, Jesus came to give us rest from the feeling that it's wrong to sit back and delight in what God is doing. Rest from that feeling that it's wrong to just sit back and delight in what God is doing. First, I'd like you to look at that phrase in verse 29 where Jesus says, um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. In contrast to what the Pharisees were laying on the people, that heavy yoke of law, laws and rules and rituals and all that, Jesus says, Take my yoke on you and learn from me. Kind of in contrast to... Almost saying underhandedly, no, don't learn from the Pharisees. Learn from me. The Pharisees were not looking at this right. And in fact, we're keeping people from God instead of bringing people to God. Jesus, whoever had the truth, he is the truth. And, and no, it isn't like there isn't any kind of yoke to being a Christian. Yeah, there is, there is a bit of a yoke to being a Christian. There is a yoke. We as Christians do have to say no to our sinful nature and yes to the Holy Spirit's control. That's a choice we need to make. That's a 
You can call that a yoke if you like. Sin is still sin, and right is still right, and wrong is still wrong. And as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we will do what is right and stay away from what is sinful. So there is that yoke, the Jesus yoke. But compared to the yoke of the Pharisees, <laughs> it's light and it's easy. Our acceptance by God is based on what Jesus did on our behalf and our faith in him. It's not on what we do. So Jesus says, learn from me. Jesus says, I came to give you rest. Here, learn from me. I'll show you how this works. There are many applications of this where we need to, need to learn from Jesus. But we're talking here about rest. What does Jesus show us about rest? Now remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God come in human form. In fact, John in his gospel tells us that Jesus was in fact the creator. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And through him all things are created. That has been created all through him. The word. Jesus. If Jesus is God, of course he was the creator. So back in Genesis chapter 1, where we were told about creation, it's Jesus who's there doing the creating. And what happened after the sixth day of creation? You kids who have been in youth, you know this, because Chris has taught you this very well. <laughs> you know this. What happened after the sixth day of creation? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. The youth to know it, but just to make sure the rest of you do as well. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. Verse 31 to 2, verse 2. Let's read those verses. Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and all the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God had completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. From all the work which he had done. He rested. Now, he, he wasn't tired. <laughs> he didn't rest in that sense. Kind of, whew, I'm so shot and beat after creating the universe. I just got to get some sleep. No, no, it wasn't that at all. <laughs> Remember that root meaning of the word rest? It means to cease or to stop. So Jesus, the creator, on the seventh day, he stopped. He rested. He ceased. And took some time to delight in his work. That's what it said there in chapter 1 verse 31. He looked at all he had done and behold it was very good. He took the time to just delight in what he had done. And here in Matthew 11 and verse 29. Jesus says learn from me. I stopped working. I took some time to delight in what I had done. Learn from me. In other words, you and I need to do this too. At regular intervals, stop working and spend time, some time just enjoying what God has done and what God is still doing. And just delight in it. When you study the life of Jesus in the four Gospels, you'll see Jesus do this often. He would just leave everyone and all their needs and just head off into the bush. Well, it says wilderness, but 
my mind, I see Bush. <laughs> Just to spend some time with his father. He'd do that regularly. Get away from his work for a day or a night and just be with God. Be with his father. And Jesus says, learn from me. We would do well to learn from Jesus. As I said, there are many ways and many different areas where we need to learn from Jesus. Talking about rest here. So we'll focus on that. Now, Christmas. Let's apply this to Christmas. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to give us rest. Jesus says, learn from me. And Jesus gave the example about resting. Regularly stop and take time to just delight in what God has done and what he is doing. Christmas is when we celebrate one of the greatest works of God he ever did. The incarnation. He became human. It's a time when we celebrate that he became human and was born as a human so he could pull off the plan of salvation, which included his death, his resurrection. To pay for our sin and gain the victory over our sin. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1 verse 14. What could be a greater work of God than that? That was our focus last week. For those of you who were last week, you remember that. Incarnation, it's an incredible, profound, jaw-dropping miracle. A great work of God. So doesn't it follow putting it all together, that our celebrations of Christmas should include some time to sit back and delight in God's greatest work? According to the yoke of the Pharisees, you couldn't do that for fear you're going to break some rule or some law or something. And many people today have the same feeling ingrained in them. They can't just sit back and enjoy for fear they might unknowingly sin. Or miss doing something they should be doing. There's work to be done. It's wrong to sit back and delight in anything, let alone God. That's a burden they carry needlessly. They just feel so guilty about relaxing when there's something more that could be done. That feeling just drives them like a slave master with a whip. Jesus came to give rest. Rest from that feeling that it's wrong to sit back and just delight in what God is doing. And we need to incorporate this more into our Christmas celebration. So I'd like to encourage you, during this Christmas season, take the time to stop and sit back and just delight in what God has done for you when he became human and was born as a baby. How do you do that? <laughs> I guess each of us will have to answer that for ourselves. It's a, it's a personal thing. We all have our own circumstances and our own family dynamics and our own things we got going on in our lives. So each of us have to answer this personally. But do some analyzing. What is my motivation for doing what I do? Is it because it's an expression of your delight and celebration of what God did that you enjoy doing? This because you're celebrating? Or is it because it is an expectation that has been placed on you? That you feel, it feels like a burden. If it's the last one, maybe you can just not do that. <laughs> Christmas isn't about meeting the expectations other people put on you. It's not what Christmas is about. That doesn't bring rest. A personal example. This is just for, for me personally and Gloria. 
not exactly sure Gloria's totally on board with me on this one. <laughs> but, but one of the things we quit doing some years ago as a family was annual Christmas letter. We just quit. Now many people do enjoy doing them, and, and it's, for them it's a celebration. That's good. If that's you, by all means do them. But, but it was becoming a burdensome thing for us. A burdensome thing. And there was really no good reason to do it. <laughs> Except that we had that feeling that it was expected that we would do it. All the people we send them to, we keep up with all year round anyway, through texts and phone calls and whatever. So it's not like we're going to tell them anything that they don't already know in a newsletter. So we just quit. That's just one example. It's a personal thing for us. You may enjoy them doing, as I said, if they're part of Christmas celebrations. Maybe it helps you focus on the greatness of God and the incarnation. I don't know. That's so, by all means. But for us, it became a burden and a dread. The only reason we did it was because we felt people were expecting it from us. So we quit. <laughs> that's just one example, and that's personal to Gloria and I. I don't feel like it's, I'm saying that it's for everybody. But the point is, take the time to stop and delight in what God has done. And there, if there's things you're doing just because somebody expects you, don't like doing it, but well, what's expected of us, or, you know, then you're doing it the wrong motivation, and it's a burden, and it doesn't bring rest, it drains you. Take the time to stop and delight in what God has done. I'll just throw out some ideas, maybe they're for you, maybe they're not, but I'll throw them out there. Put on some Christmas music. And make sure it's music that talks about the birth of Jesus and not Frosty the Snowman or Grandma being run over by a reindeer or something like that. No, music that talks about the birth of Jesus. And just sit back, look at the lights, look at the decorations, have a nibble or two of some Christmas baking, and just ponder and meditate on the greatness of this. The greatness of the incarnation, the greatness of the birth of Jesus, and delight, just delight in what God did that night 2,000 years ago for you and worship Him. That's what Jesus would want. Learn from me, He said. Whatever God brings to your mind as you contemplate this, He came to give us rest from that feeling that it's wrong to sit back and delight in what He has done. He wants us to do that. So think about ways that you can do this that are specific to you and your family and your circumstances. So therefore we see from this passage this morning what, that Jesus came to give us rest and the things he gave, came to give us rest from. He came to give us rest from, number one, from trying to be good enough. We can't be anyway. <laughs> he did it for. And to rest from feeling it's wrong, to sit back and delight in what God is doing. Friends, Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. That in itself is incredible and awesome and wonderful and profound and jaw-dropping amazing. Christmas is already good. It isn't up to us to try to make it good. It's already good because of what God has done. And, that, and, and we celebrate because... It's good. That's why we celebrate. It's already good. So 
So make sure what you do is an expression of the celebration of what God did that's in your heart. And not done to try to make Christmas better. And I hope we catch and understand that distinction. And please know that I'm, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anyone else here, maybe more so. <laughs> this has been a personal journey for me over the past number of years. These are truths I'm still trying to come to grips with. Still trying to come to grips with it. And that's why this old sermon struck a chord with me as I looked at it. I'm still on this journey. <laughs> These truths still speak to me. So I need to be better at applying them as well. But be sure to take some time just to sit back and delight in what God has done and what he is doing. It's okay to do that. God himself did it. Jesus did it. He's saying to you, learn from me. We need to do that. So let's take our time of silence again. And I'm, I really don't know who the sermon is for here this morning besides me. Maybe it is just me. I don't know. But open your hearts to what God may be saying to you personally. And I'll just give you a few moments to allow God to speak to you, to your own heart. Music team, please. Let's stand and sing together.
We did this next one a couple weeks ago, but um, <clears throat> I really like the words to this one. I think it um, just does a really great job of describing what Christmas is in a theological and a biblical sense.
everyone and welcome to our service this morning. We're going to start with I think probably an all-time favorite hymn, Crown Hymn, with many crowns, but uh, it was also written with, um, newly written with Christmas words. Um, so let's stand and sing this together. Jesus. 
hope of the nations. Jesus, comfort for all who mourn. You are the source of heaven's hope on earth. Jesus, light in the darkness. Jesus, truth in each circumstance.
Some people think anything having to do with God is very serious and could never be actually happy the Assume that does doing things for God, studying about God, going to church and worshiping God, or if even just thinking about God will be really boring and no fun. But Jesus is not a bore or a burden. He's not a drag or a drudgery. Jesus is the greatest joy in the universe. He's the best news anyone has ever heard. In fact, nothing in all the world can give people as much joy as Jesus can. That's what the angels told the shepherds who were taking care of their sheep on that dark night. Outside Bethlehem, Luke recorded the angels singing. I bring you good news that will bring 
great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Luke 2, 10 to 11. Although intensely freight the good news of Jesus replaced the suburbs for fury with joy. What was this? God, good news, the Savior, yes, said the Messiah. I thought that one was mine, Keaton. Messiah, the Lord has been born today. The good news was that the Messiah, the Jesus, had been expecting for centuries was born the that very night. When the shepherds checked it out for themselves, they found that what the angel had told them was true. So they returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and happened and seen. They couldn't keep what they had seen to themselves. They told everyone what happened, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Luke 2 verse 18. That word wondered means that all the people who heard it, mar it marveled. They were blown away. The reason we celebrate Christmas is that we are still blown away by the incredible news that God became a baby on that night in Bethlehem. And when we grow in our understanding of what this means, we begin to experience experience the great joy the angels talked about. Good morning to each and every one of you. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, 
Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can be in your, your house and worship you and look towards a season that uh, people in our country sometimes don't really get the meaning of. And we just pray that uh, that message will go out this season. And as we go from here, we will spread that message to our friends and neighbors and people that may or may not know the real reason. So we just pray that you'll bless the service this morning and all that's done in it, the music, and help our hearts to be open and mindful of what you have to say to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. In your bulletins, read to the cult of worship. Um, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Let's read it together. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And if you read the back of the bulletin this morning, you will see uh, Pastor Glenn's emphasis on the Prince of Peace. Um, scripture reading at this time. Scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. I will be reading from the NIV. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. The Father revealed in the Son. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. this morning and uh, let's just take the time to bow our hearts before God and, and just deliberately make that choice to open ourselves up to what he may have for us this morning so let's bow our heads Lord we come to the portion of our worship service where we're going to look into your word and we recognize that this is your word to us and that you put it in the Bible for a reason. And you want us 
to learn something from it. You want to, want to say something to us from it. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help each of us to just open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to us this morning. To each one of us individually. Lord, I, I don't know where everybody is at in their own personal lives or in their hearts, but you do. And so, Lord, I, I really pray that you'll take, as only you can, all the events of the service and uh, use it to speak to us and encourage us, challenge us if needed, and uh, just feed us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A mother named Michelle Hardy uh, tells this story. She says, Advent was one week away, and so we thought we'd see what the children remembered from our family devotions the year before. So I asked, who can tell me what the four candles in the Advent wreath represent? And Luke, seven-year-old Luke, uh, jumped in with his seven-year-old wisdom and exuberance, and he said, well, there's love and joy and peace and... and um, and, and then six-year-old Elise <laughs> jumped at the finish. I know, I know, peace and quiet. <laughs> and as much as we all love Christmas, I don't think that phrase, peace and quiet, <laughs> would ever be used by any of us to describe how we do Christmas. Because in actuality, it's quite the opposite for the vast majority of people. And on the one hand, I'm not sure that's necessarily wrong. <laughs> and yet on the other hand, maybe this six-year-old was onto something. The sermon this morning is going to be a bit unconventional as far as Christmas sermons are concerned. But it isn't altogether new. I did preach this sermon about seven or eight years ago. Uh, but upon thinking and praying, I couldn't seem to get it out of my head. Not the sermon, per se, but, but the biblical truth that it's based on. And so I decided to kind of rework the sermon and preach it again this year. So for those of you who are a bit long in the tooth, <laughs> you might remember this. Or some of the main points, anyway. It has to do with doing our Christmas preparations and our Christmas celebrations with a different mindset. The scripture passage we're going to be looking at is the one... It's not one that we usually go to during the Christmas season. It's the last few verses of the passage that was read to us earlier. So, Jeremy read from verse 25 to 30. We're just going to be looking at verse 28 to 30. Verses 28 to 30. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, this passage has nothing to do with the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. But there is a connection. Christmas. We are celebrating the coming of Jesus. God come as a human. Jesus says in these verses that he came to give us rest. So if we are celebrating the coming of Jesus, and if Jesus came to give us rest, 
then there is something that we should put together here. I'm not sure that rest is really something that is valued in our society. Uh, I think many people long for it. But the way we go about getting it is through lots of work. So we value long hours with the goal of getting ahead financially so we can enjoy the good life. We define the good life as having lots of recreational stuff, usually. RVs, cabins at the lake, boats, winter vacations to warm climates, so on and so forth. We, we think we value rest because we work long hours to be able to afford the stuff which we think will give us rest. But it doesn't. The more stuff we have, the more we have to take care of. <laughs> and the more we travel, the more time we spend working to afford it and prepare for it. And if we go someplace exotic, we have to take advantage of it by cramming all the activities we can into our time there to spend or to get the most out of our money and time that, that we're there. And the less rest we get. And in the big picture, this does not give us rest. It takes away from rest. You know, it's interesting. We have in the Bible a record of what happens when God sets up a society and a culture. That was what the Old Testament nation of Israel was. God's people that he brought together, brought out of Egypt to make a nation through which he could reveal himself to the world. He set it up. And the instructions that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai were more than just the moral law. It was the moral law, but it was more. It was instructions on how to set up their society when they get to the promised land. And God commanded that they rest. Regularly. It starts right with the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall work. And on the seventh you shall do no work. Your servants shouldn't work. Your animals shouldn't work. No one should work on that seventh day. The word Sabbath and the word rest. They both come from the same root word in the original Hebrew. And that word means to cease or desist. To cease or desist. Just stop. That's basically what the word means. Just stop. So a very literal translation of that fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments would be, remember the ceasing day, or the desisting day, or the resting day, to keep it holy. In other words, don't mess with that. That's the day where you just stop and rest. I've explained this before over the years. As you go on reading in the Old Testament law, you see feasts and festivals that they were commanded to keep and to observe. Some of them are quite lengthy, week long. And included in that week were one, sometimes two days of rest. Every seventh year, they were not to plant any crops. They were to let the land go follow for one year. Because the land needed a rest. That's what God said. 
So when you look at the whole society as God laid out for the nation Israel, regular rest periods were scheduled in to the society right from the start. <coughs> it was intended to be a society that had regular rest periods built into it. Now, we of course know from our many times going through the Old Testament in the past years that the nation Israel wandered far away from the society God intended. But that's the way God set it up. And, and I'm not saying that this is how our society should be set up. I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches. But it's interesting that this is how God set up the nation of Israel. And interesting to note, when Jesus came, he tells us here in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, that he came to give us rest. So what does that mean? What does that all include? And when we know what it means, how does that affect how we celebrate Christmas. That's where we're going with this sermon this morning. What does this mean? How can we apply it in practical terms? So we need to grasp the concept of rest, the rest that Jesus came to give, and learn how to apply it to Christmas celebrations. And we can do that by studying the things that Jesus came to give us rest from. So there's two things I want to bring out here. What did Jesus... When he says he's going to give us rest, what's he giving us rest from? Two things. Number one, rest from trying to be good enough. Rest from trying to be good enough. To understand what Jesus was saying to the people here, we need to understand the background in which he said it. And the context in which he said it. And as you go back over the book of Matthew from the beginning till this point, you see Jesus teaching the people the truths about the kingdom of God. And you see Jesus healing people, you see him calming a storm just by speaking, you see him casting out evil spirits out of people, setting them free. And you also see some opposition starting to rise against Jesus from the Pharisees. What Jesus was teaching didn't line up with what the Pharisees were teaching. So they started opposing him. And they, and they tried to discredit him, saying that he used using the power of Satan to do the miracles that he did. No, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders in Israel at this time. They were the ones that taught people the word of God and what it meant. And explained how it applied to all areas of life. So just some background on the Pharisees. The Pharisees came into being during the 400 years or so between the time the last book of the Old Testament was written, that book of Malachi, and the time that Jesus came. So that's about a 400 year period. And that's when the Pharisees rose up. There was a felt need to explain to the people that came back from the Babylonian captivity. <laughs> that was, you know, just before this 400 year thing. There was a felt need to explain to these people what the law of God was. They had been in Babylon for 70 years. There's a new generation that didn't really know much about the law of God. So there was a felt need to explain to the people who came back from the Babylonian exile what the law of God was, what it meant how it worked. And so the sect of the Pharisees grew out of that. And like many things, the intent was good. But in the passing of a few hundred years, it morphed into something that was not what God intended. You see, in their explanation of what God said in the Old Testament law, they started adding things to it to explain it. So that people would understand what this meant. So, in effect, they added to it. 
For example, one of the Old Testament laws was uh, the one we just talked about. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So do no work on the Sabbath. That was one of the laws. So what does that mean? Well, so to explain what this means, the Pharisees started listing things that were considered work. That you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And to make sure the law was kept and not profane, that list kept getting longer. <laughs> to the point that at the time of Jesus, there were rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath. You couldn't drag a chair across a dirt floor on the Sabbath. Because the chair legs would dig a furrow in the dirt floor, and that was plowing, which was work. Couldn't do that. So that's just one example. Hundreds of things like this. For every law God gave, they had their list of things that it all included. To the point where it just became ridiculous. And with that, there came the move to the belief that being accepted by God was contingent on obeying all these laws. Plus, all the rules that explained these laws as set out by the Pharisees. It was all based on outward actions. There was no mention or consideration of a heart condition. It was all outward actions. So this was a huge burden on the people. Can you imagine trying to be a good and a godly person, trying to do what is right, and the only way to do it was to keep all these rules? Just in the normal, everyday tasks of life, you ran the risk of breaking many of these rules without even realizing it. And you were condemned. You couldn't be accepted by God because you broke the rules. This teaching of the Pharisees literally drained the spiritual life out of the people. This law that they were trying to keep was a huge burden on their shoulders. Just flip back page or two in your Bibles to chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. Seeing the people, he felt, as Jesus, he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let's focus on the word in verse 36. Distressed and dispirited, in my translation says. Like sheep without a shepherd. Trying to be good, trying to be godly, but in reality, they're far from God. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Send out the, har the workers to the harvest. You see, the people were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. No wonder Jesus felt compassion on them. This is not at all what God had in mind when he gave them the law. But many rejected Jesus for whatever reason. And... Now back in Matthew 11, verse 20 to 24, Jesus warned that those who rejected him it will not go well for them at the judgment. So that's the background. That's the context of Jesus' words there in verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He came to give the people rest. The question is the rest from, and the or what rest from what? And the answer is rest from this burdensome law system that the Pharisees had laid on the shoulders of these people. 
that was draining the spiritual life out of them. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus, who we know is God come in human form, is saying, this is not at all what I had in mind when I gave you the law. Come to me, I'll free you from that. I'll give you rest. Being, con being accepted by God is not contingent upon keeping a bunch of rules. And hopefully if you can keep most of them, you'll be good enough to be accepted. That's the burden these people were staggering under. Trying to be good enough to be accepted by God and constantly living in fear that they were going to fall short. What a horrible way to live. No wonder they were distressed and downcast. Jesus said, I'll give you rest from that. My acceptance of you is not based on you keeping a whack of rules. It isn't based on being good enough. Just forget about all those rules. Take a rest from that. Stop trying. Just come to me. And maybe there are some here that need to hear this. Jesus came to give us rest. Rest from trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. No, Jesus is standing with open arms saying, just come to me and I will give you rest from that. Come to me. I have done what needed to be done to make you right with God. I died for you in your place. I paid for your sins. They're paid for. I've done it. You don't have to pay for your own sins. You can't. <laughs> I've done it for you. Just come to me. Believe in who I am. Admit you need me as a Savior. Accept me as your Savior. And I'll give you a rest from that whole thing of trying to be good enough. So there's some here who have never done that. I encourage you. <laughs> Make sure you do that. Come to me. I will give you rest. So how do we apply this now to Christmas and how we celebrate Christmas? If Jesus came to give us rest from trying to be good enough, it seems to me that our celebrations of Jesus coming should be consistent with that. Our celebrations should have an element of rest to them. So it seems to me that if my attitude is that in order to be able to celebrate the incarnation and the birth of Christ, I have to do this and this and this and the other thing, it's on me, it's on my shoulders to make the celebration what it needs to be. If, if it's going to be good, it's on me to do a bunch of stuff in order to make it good. It seems to me that of my line of thinking is, you know, if I put up more lights on the house and on the trees, then Christmas will be better. If I bake more, two more varieties of goodies, then Christmas will be better. If I take in a few more programs or go to a few more parties, or then, then Christmas will be good. If that's my line of thinking, I'm in that trying to be good enough mode that Jesus came to give us a rest from. It's all on me to make the celebration good and acceptable to all in my circle. If that's the case, 
that's our mindset, then everything about Christmas celebrations becomes draining and you'll become distressed and downcast. <laughs> I think in a lot of ways it comes down to perspective. If on the other hand, my thinking is, I want to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I want to celebrate the coming of Jesus. That Jesus would come to this earth. God come in the flesh. That Jesus would come as a human is so awesome that he would do that for me so I could be saved from the penalty of my sin. That is so amazing. I just got to celebrate. Let's decorate. Let's do some special baking. Let's sing praises to God. Think about that night he was born. And in that spirit of celebration you do what you do just as an expression of your celebration, that, that's totally different. Then you'll actually find those things energizing, <laughs> which is the opposite of being draped. Notice in verse 29 that Jesus says he came to give us rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. So if you, as an expression of the celebration in your heart, do all kinds of decorating and baking and giving gifts and all that. Yeah, you may be busy. You may not be getting physical rest, but this will be something energizing for you. Your souls will be rested. And that's also necessary. So there's a bit of a fine line here. The point is, Jesus came to give us rest. Our celebrations should have an element of rest to them. So... will obviously apply to each person individually. It'll apply differently. But do some soul searching. Why do you do what you do at Christmas? To try to make Christmas good for those around you because it's on your shoulders to do that? Or as an expression of the celebration in your heart because Christmas is good? Does it promote rest for you? Rest for your souls. You need to answer that question in your own heart. But anyway, secondly, second thing, and lastly, Jesus came to give us rest from the feeling that it's wrong to sit back and delight in what God is doing. Rest from that feeling that it's wrong to just sit back and delight in what God is doing. First, I'd like you to look at that phrase in verse 29 where Jesus says, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. In contrast to what the Pharisees were laying on the people, that heavy yoke of law, laws and rules and rituals and all that, Jesus says, take my yoke on you and learn from me. Kind of in contrast to, almost saying underhandedly, like, no, the, the, don't learn from the Pharisees. Learn from me. The Pharisees were not looking at this right. And in fact, we're keeping people from God instead of bringing people to God. Jesus, however, had the truth. He is the truth. And, and no, it isn't like there isn't any kind of yoke to being a Christian. Yeah, there is, there is a bit of a yoke to being a Christian. There is a yoke. We as Christians do have to say no to our sinful nature and yes to the Holy Spirit's control. That's a choice we need to make. That's a you can call that a yoke if you like. Sin is still sin, and right is still right, and wrong is still wrong. And as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we will do what is right and stay away from what is sinful. It's 
So there is that yoke, the Jesus yoke. But compared to the yoke of the Pharisees, <laughs> it's light and it's easy. Our acceptance by God is based on what Jesus did on our behalf and our faith in him. It's not on what we do. So Jesus says, learn from me. Jesus says, I came to give you rest. Here, learn from me. I'll show you how this works. There are many applications of this where we need to, need to learn from Jesus. But we're talking here about rest. What does Jesus show us about rest? Now remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God come in human form. In fact, John in his gospel tells us that Jesus was in fact the creator. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And through him all things are created. That has been created all through him. The word. Jesus. If Jesus is God, of course he was the creator. So back in Genesis chapter 1 where we were told about creation, it's Jesus who's there doing the creating. And what happened after the sixth day of creation? You kids who have been in youth, you know this because Chris has taught you this very well. <laughs> you know this. What happened after the sixth day of creation? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. The youth didn't know it, but just to make sure the rest of you do as well. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. Verse 31 to 2, verse 2. Let's read those verses. Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and all the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God had completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. From all the work which he had done. He rested. Now, he, he wasn't tired. <laughs> he didn't rest in that sense. Kind of, whew, I'm so shot and beat after creating the universe. I just got to get some sleep. No, no, it wasn't that at all. <laughs> Remember that root meaning of the word rest? It means to cease or to stop. So Jesus, the creator, on the seventh day, he stopped. He rested. He ceased. And took some time to delight in his work. That's what it said there in chapter 1 verse 31. He looked at all he had done and behold it was very good. He took the time to just delight in what he had done. And here in Matthew 11 and verse 29. Jesus says learn from me. I stopped working. I took some time to delight in what I had done. Learn from me. In other words, you and I need to do this too. At regular intervals, stop working and spend time, some time just enjoying what God has done and what God is still doing. And just delight in it. When you study the life of Jesus in the four Gospels, you'll see Jesus do this often. He would just leave everyone and all their needs and just head off into the bush. Well, it says wilderness, but <laughs> in my mind, I see bush. <laughs> Just to spend some time with his father. He'd do that regularly. Get away from his work for a day or a night and just be with God. Be with his father. 
And Jesus says, learn from me. We would do well to learn from Jesus. As I said, there are many ways and many different areas where we need to learn from Jesus. I'm talking about rest here. So we'll focus on that. Now, Christmas. Let's apply this to Christmas. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to give us rest. Jesus says, learn from me. And Jesus gave the example about resting. Regularly stop and take time to just delight in what God has done. And what he is doing. Christmas is... When we celebrate one of the greatest works of God he ever did. The incarnation. He became human. At the time when we celebrate that he became human and was born as a human. So he could pull off the plan of salvation. Which included his death, his resurrection. To pay for our sin and gain the victory over our sin. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1 verse 14. What could be a greater work of God than that? That was our focus last week. For those of you who were last week, you remember that. Incarnation, it's an incredible, profound, jaw-dropping miracle. A great work of God. So doesn't it follow, putting it all together, that our celebrations of Christmas should include some time to sit back and delight in God's greatest work? According to the yoke of the Pharisees, you couldn't do that for fear you're going to break some rule or some law or something. And many people today have the same feeling ingrained in them. They can't just sit back and enjoy for fear they might unknowingly sin or miss doing something they should be doing. There's work to be done. It's wrong to sit back and delight in anything, let alone God. That's a burden they carry needlessly. They just feel so guilty about relaxing when there's something more that could be done. That feeling just drives them like a slave master with a whip. Jesus came to give rest. Rest from that feeling that it's wrong to sit back and just delight in what God is doing. And we need to incorporate this more into our Christmas celebration. So I'd like to encourage you during this Christmas season take the time to stop and sit back and just delight in what God has done for you when he became human and was born as a baby. How do you do that? <laughs> I guess each of us will have to answer that for ourselves. It's a, it's a personal thing. We all have our own circumstances and our own family dynamics and our own things we got going on in our lives. So each of us have to answer this personally. But do some analyzing. What is my motivation for doing what I do? Is it because it's an expression of your delight and celebration of what God did that you enjoy doing? This because you're celebrating? Or is it because it is an expectation that has been placed on you that you feel it feels like a burden? If it's the last one, maybe you can just not do that. <laughs> Christmas isn't about meeting the expectations other people put on you. It's not what Christmas is about. That doesn't bring rest. A personal example. This is just for, for me personally and Gloria. I'm not exactly sure Gloria is totally on board with me on this one. <laughs> but... But one of the things we quit doing 
some years ago as a family was annual Christmas letter. We just quit. Now many people do enjoy doing them and, and it's for them it's a celebration. That's good. If that's you, by all means do them. But, but it was becoming a burdensome thing for us. A burdensome thing. And there was really no good reason to do it. <laughs> Except that we had that feeling that it was expected that we would do it. All the people we send them to, we keep up with all year round anyway, through texts and phone calls and whatever. So it's not like we're going to tell them anything that they don't already know in a newsletter. So we just quit. That's just one example. It's a personal thing for us. You may enjoy them doing, as I said, if you're part of Christmas celebrations. Maybe it helps you focus on the greatness of God and the incarnation. I don't know. If that's so, by all means. But for us, it became a burden and a dread. The only reason we did it was because we felt people were expecting it from us. So we quit. <laughs> that's just one example, and that's personal to Gloria and I. I don't feel like it's, I'm saying that it's for everybody. But the point is, take the time to stop and delight in what God has done. And there, if there's things you're doing just because somebody expects you, don't like doing it, but well, what's expected of us, or, you know, then you're doing it the wrong motivation, and it's a burden, and it doesn't bring rest, it drains you. Take the time to stop and delight in what God has done. I'll just throw out some ideas. Maybe they're for you, maybe they're not, but I'll throw them out there. Put on some Christmas music. And make sure it's music that talks about the birth of Jesus and not Frosty the Snowman or Grandma being run over by a reindeer or something like that. No. Music that talks about the birth of Jesus. And just sit back, look at the lights, look at the decorations, have a nibble or two of some Christmas baking, and just ponder and meditate on the greatness of this. The greatness of the incarnation. The greatness of the birth of Jesus. And delight. Just delight in what God did that night 2,000 years ago for you. And worship Him. That's what Jesus would want. Learn from me, He said. Whatever God brings to your mind as you contemplate this, he came to give us rest from that feeling that it's wrong to sit back and delight in what he has done. He wants us to do that. So think about ways that you can do this that are specific to you and your family and your circumstances. So therefore we see from this passage this morning what, that Jesus came to give us rest and the things he gave, came to give us rest from. He came to give us rest from, number one, from trying to be good enough. We can't be anyway. <laughs> he did it for us. And to rest from feeling it's wrong, to sit back and delight in what God is doing. Friends, Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. That in itself is incredible and awesome and wonderful and profound and jaw-dropping amazing. Christmas is already good. It isn't up to us to try to make it good. It's already good because of what God has done. And, that, and, and we celebrate because it's good. That's why we celebrate. It's already good. So make sure what you do is an expression of the celebration of what God did that's in your heart. And not done to try to make Christmas better. 
And I hope we catch and understand that distinction. And please know that I'm, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anyone else here, maybe more so. <laughs> this has been a personal journey for me over the past number of years. These are truths I'm still trying to come to grips with. Still trying to come to grips with it. And that's why this old sermon struck a chord with me as I looked at it. I'm still on this journey. <laughs> These truths still speak to me. So I need to be better at applying them as well. But be sure to take some time just to sit back and delight in what God has done and what he is doing. It's okay to do that. God himself did it. Jesus did it. He's saying to you, learn from me. We need to do that. So let's take our time of silence again. And I'm, I really don't know who the sermon is for here this morning besides me. Maybe it is just me. I don't know. But open your hearts to what God may be saying to you personally. And I'll just give you a few moments to allow God to speak to you, to your own heart. Let's stand and sing together. Jesus! 
We did this next one a couple weeks ago, but um, <clears throat> I really like the words to this one. I think it um, just does a really great job of describing what Christmas is in a theological and a biblical sense.
Thank you for your singing. <laughs>